one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and a very warm welcome back to Wellness with Liz Earle. And today I'm joined by University of Cambridge geneticist and BBC presenter Dr Giles Yeo. Now with over 20 years experience in this field, Giles was part of the initial vanguard that discovered a number of genes that cause severe obesity and also the pathways in the brain that influence our eating habits. He's joining me in the studios today to discuss his new book, Gene Eating, which in his own words is a structured diatribe against dietary misinformation backed up by bad or no science. So today we'll be debunking weight loss myths and exploring if our genes are really to blame when our genes don't fit. Haha. Welcome, Giles. Hello, Liz. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's just great because this is such a big, big subject and obviously very relevant as we get into the warmer weather and start stripping off and becoming more body conscious and body aware and all the diet books come out at this time of year, don't they? They do. Bikini bod, beach bod season. Oh, I actually wrote one called The Bikini Diet years ago. Did you? I did, many, many years ago. To my, I mean, well, not to my shame, but it was a catchy title, but it was basically all about eating well. Right, right, you know, right, but right. It, but obviously, you, are you telling me you actually coined the term? Well, I, well, I don't know if I was first. My bikini diet book came out, oh, 25 years ago. So does that give me a bit of ancestry there, maybe? You don't look it. <laughs> you are very kind. Mm. For you, though, mm. going back in time, when did you first get into genetics? Has it always been your thing? I mean, always been our thing is a very odd thing. To say. I, mean, I did it as an undergrad. So in other words, I went and, you know, when I did science as an undergrad, but what, mm. what was that? Um, and then I found my way specializing in genetics. And I guess I'd always been interested in what makes us similar and also what makes us yeah. what makes us different. Yeah. Always at Cambridge? Was that, has that no, always my been undergrad, my undergraduate was... So I'm from um, San Francisco. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I, I don't sound like my wife's English. But uh, so I did my undergraduate, undergraduate at the University of California at Berkeley. Okay, so so I did it. I did it in genetics, pretty much. But then I moved to Cambridge to do my um, to do my PhD, mm. also in genetics. But oddly enough, on the genetics of Japanese pufferfish. So no, I, okay, once again, curious. yeah, curious. Yeah. But then when I finished that, I realized that studying the genetics of Japanese pufferfish was not going to pay my mortgage. <laughs> And and that was when then I moved into obesity. Okay, that well, that's very interesting. And did you come across, or do you come across now, people like Tim Spector, working in genetics with the Tim with the twins project and and uh, absolutely. So and... so I have I have collaborated with Tim uh, have you? Um, um, yeah. previously, and we st and we know each other. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Mm. Well, I'm I'm podcasting with him soon too because it's it's all interconnected, isn't it? The whole the role of microbiome and genes and. And I know that you've done a really interesting series for Audible on gut health mm -hmm. and genetics. And that was really interesting to hear your take on that, because I'm obviously big into gut health as well. 
I mean, it's, it is all one unit. I mean, whenever we talk about, um, not only when we talk about health, but when we talk about diet and we talk about health, it is, we all have, we, you cannot separate everything apart. It all works as one whole. Mm. And, and so when you talk about the gut, that's such a huge part of it. If you talk Gosh, about the yeah. brain and you talk about your genes and I, it all is one whole. And so it's all just different, um, you know, sides of, a, of, of the same kind of, of like pyramid of the same thing. So mm. what role then does, do our genetics play in all of that? I mean, are, are we? Do we have fat genes that mean we're always going to be overweight? I mean, there are no fat genes per se. I put 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 it another way. I mean, we now know of over two hundred genes that influence our body shape and body size. Okay, and it's not like these definitely make you fat or definitely make you thin. Imagine that each of these individual two hundred genes, one increases your likelihood of slightly making you heavier, and one makes you slightly, and one variation makes you slightly lighter. Okay, so there are two versions of each each gene, and so each of us have our own individual mix of these two hundred genes right. that make us average size, maybe slightly heavier, maybe slightly lighter. When you say slightly, what are we talking about? Oh, like so 10%, 20%? Everywhere on the spectrum. So there are going to be some people who have so many of genes, so many of these genes that they end up, you know, being likely to become obese, you know, right. that we were told, you know, yes. obese. Some that make people really skinny. But obviously, the vast majority of us sit somewhere in the middle, right? Oh, I'm a couple of yeah. pounds too heavy. Ooh, I just wish I could gain a couple of pounds. Yeah. And so it's a complete spectrum. And are we seeing the gene structure changing? So are we developing more of the, the genes that make us more overweight? Or, no. Or, or, or does our gene pool pretty much stay the same? So these, the, these genes and these variations have... I would say always been there, clearly not always been there, but have been there probably for the last 100,000 years. So we can't really blame our genes. We can't blame changes or shifting genes for our increase in society for, for being overweight. No, we can't. So, so I think, that, okay, here's, here's the new ones, I guess. Undoubtedly, it's society, the environment, our diet, etc., etc. Mm. Okay, everything non-genetic that has driven the uh, obesity problem, the problem with diet-related illnesses that we actually see today. However... Not all of us are fat or ill in this environment. And that is where our genes actually, actually so play a role. So that's the nuance, isn't it? Yeah. And that's where other things like microbes and all the other influences potentially could come in. Yes, absolutely. Mm. I, I actually more, I consider the microbes more part of the environment. They almost sit at the interface between mm -hmm. the environment and our genes because they are influenced by our genes but they're also influenced by the environment, what we eat, where we live. Yeah. And so the microbes are one of the interface between, between the two, our genes and the environment, I think. Fascinating. I, I loved your book, Gene Eating, which I know we'll, we'll, we'll come on and talk about. And mm. what I thought was really interesting, uh, possibly a tad depressing, I'm not sure. Is, is, is the <laughs> My fact... wife finds it depressing, oh, but no, there we go. Really? Mm. <laughs> well, you talk about this thing called the set point. Yes. Which is the kind of the weight that we're almost always going to be. And we can vary, we can go on a you know, crash diet or whatever, and we can shift a few pounds, but we will always revert to our set point. Is that is that really the case that we are what we are and there's very little we can do about it? I mean, a set point, maybe I should have used a different term. The set point is the term used uh, in the past. It's probably a set range. So I don't think it is a single point in time. And I think you can definitely move up and down. But there is a natural body weight that we find easy to maintain. Okay. It tends to be five pounds or 10 pounds above what we'd like it to be okay. most of the time. But I think most of us accept the fact that... If we're not trying, really, yeah. we'll probably sit slightly above what we'd like and we stay there. It's Then we try and force ourselves down. Yes. We try and diet, da-da-da-da-da. Sure. 
and then it's difficult. Whereas if we go, and so that range, that that ten pounds above what we love to be, that is what we call the set. The set. Okay, range. So, and that's around ten pounds, is it? Oh so no, I mean I made up ten pounds. Take. It's gonna be. It really is gonna be depending on people, depending on uh, each of us individually. I mean, for mm. some of us, you can see there are gonna be people out there who are congenitally skinny. They're just yeah. skinny, and and they say, well, I don't try and be skinny. I'm not morally superior. I'm just like this, and so their set points or set range is gonna be lower. Me. You know, I wish I was five pounds lighter. So there we go. And 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 whereas I can maintain my body weight now with no real thought about it, but if I need to lose yeah. that extra five pounds, sure. it's a real pain. I, I totally resonate with that. You know, I find exactly the same. I can get to a certain point, and I'm reasonably happy. And on the you know on the the metrics, whatever that you look at, you go, yeah, I'm within a healthy range. But I would love to be five or six pounds lighter, and it's a struggle. It is. I just can't get down there. And when I do, I only have to go out for a couple of nights, of, and it know, comes back up again. It's ping. It's <laughs> so you know, I'm kind of now thinking, having read your work, is there actually any point in fighting that? I think what people, so I think there are two different things. Is there a problem in carrying too much fat and carrying too much mm. weight? Yes, there is, because it increases your risk of all, all kinds of diseases. Yeah. Okay. How does that square your healthy weight? How does that square with being beautiful, okay, and I think, or what society says, and I think that is the problem, right? So I think we can, we need to be worried about our health. Sure. And to my mind, if we concern ourselves about our health and work towards that, then our weight will take care of itself. Mm. And um, it may not be that you end up looking like Angelina Jolie or what have you. Mm. Um, but then at least you will be healthy. Within a healthy range. And, yes. uh, and for you as a geneticist working with obesity, I mm. mean, you must be super busy because this is a fast growing market, isn't it? I, I don't think I'm going to run out of a job anytime <laughs> soon, sadly. Uh, but yeah, it is, no. it, is a, it is a fast growing market. And what is the main trigger then? What is, what is causing this I mean, huge I'm da- range? Or is that a massive question to answer simply? No, no. Well, I mean, what is causing it is almost easy to, to easier to answer than why we behave differently in it. Okay. So undoubtedly what's causing it, what's driven it is the change in our environment. Now I'm using environment in its loosest terms. I mean, the environment, yes, but the type of food we eat, our socioeconomic class, the fact that we're sat here talking to each other rather than working in a coal mine, sure. the fact that we have dishwashers, yes. and and the fact that we can get food 24 hours a day pretty much um, very, very cheaply wherever we want, wh- wherever we yeah. are. So I think it's a mix of those two. The fact that we have our lives have changed so much in terms of what we do for a living and the fact that the type of food we're exposed to and eat has changed so much that those two together is what has driven um, on the diet, the, the, the epidemic, I'm mm-hmm. going to use the word epidemic yeah. of diet related illnesses that we actually see today. Mm. So how many of us are obese in the UK? In the UK, what sort of proportion? I think the number, it depends on how you actually, you, you know, define it, but anywhere from a quarter to a third, Good heavens. More than if we if we consider overweight, yes. so you, you you know we're probably fifty to sixty percent of us are probably overweight. So more than half of us. Are more overweight. than over half of us are overweight. Now you you know does overweight necessarily mean unhealthy? Probably not. It does increase your risk, but then sure. tilting into obesity, that is when we actually have the issue. But it's it's a huge problem. It's not um it's no. it's in the world today, there are actually and this is a scary statistic, there are more people, okay, even though they're overnutritioned, okay, uh, that are actually at risk of having disease because they're too large compared to the number of people who are actually at risk of starving to death. 
We've oh, tilted. We We've actually tilted. Yes, tipped. Where more people are going to die because of carrying too much fat yeah. than because they are dying of starvation. That is really, I mean, that that is quite shocking because we know the numbers, sadly, who are dying of starvation are still, you know, running. Are still running at, at a, 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 a absolutely way, way too high. Mm. It sounds almost perverse then to, to talk about losing weight when we know that there are so many who are, you know, food deprived and we've got this ridiculous sense of imbalance where we are just so overstuffed literally on every level with with foods. But for those of us who are part of the 60% overweight who mm -hmm. wanting to do something about it, mm -hmm. you have forensically examined all the different types of dieting mm -hmm. and, and seen, you know, what's working and what's working. The number one thing that I grew up with as, as a youngster was counting calories. Mm -hmm. You know, it seems to make sense you've mm -hmm. got you know a certain amount of calorific value going in and then you cut that down and you know bingo you lose loads of weight mm. so what's your view should we be counting calories i think the only way to lose weight the only way the only reason why we're gaining weight is because we're eating more than we burn hence the only way to lose weight is to eat less than you burn okay so eat less do more exactly so but that doesn't write a book does no, it? no no but that's the physics that that's the physics <laughs> okay. where where the the interesting bits come is in why we actually behave differently okay uh, around around food why we behave differently around food and mm. why some people are more efficient than others it, it's even though we have to get to the physics so anything which is going to get us to lose weight has to achieve this the the physics so the your basic di dynamic then is eat less and do more. That's it. But the strategy yeah, of which you actually achieve okay. that is then going to differ. Now, calorie counting is an interesting is an interesting concept. Clearly, you know what is a calorie? A calorie is the amount of energy that is going to need to raise one liter of water one degree Celsius. That is the actual definition of That's a calorie. The physics That's the physics. That's okay. the physics. So therefore, if you've actually absorbed a calorie in in you, clearly all calories are equal. The problem is whenever we eat something, so this is from a pure calorie counting point of view, whenever we eat something, okay, we cannot absorb every single calorie. So I'll give you some examples. I, I use these in a book. If you have 100 calories, this is called caloric availability. Okay, so the amount of calories you absorb from a food versus the amount of calories stuck in the food. If you have 100 calories of sugar, just the pure white stuff, okay, mm -hmm. and you eat it, you probably get 98 to 99 calories out of that 100 calories of sugar. It's nearly 100% calorically available. If you have 100 calories of sweet corn, and then you peek in the loo the next day, mm -hmm. you clearly have absorbed nowhere close to 100 calories of sweet corn. Yet, when you take corn kernels, dry it up, pound it into a corn meal, and make a corn tortilla, you can suddenly absorb a lot more of the, of the calories within the corn. But yet, when you go to your favorite supermarket and look at the back of these packages at the calories, it's still 100 calories of sugar, 100 calories of sweet corn, and 100 calories of corn tortilla. So calorie counting blind, mm. you know, makes no sense to me. No, because what 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 is your body doing with those calories? Yes. How is it interpreting it? It'll use some of them really efficiently and you'll potentially gain more weight. Some of them it won't be able to utilize and you can eat more and not put on any weight. Exactly. And, and if you consider, so, so there are two, that is the first concept. And, mm -hmm. and, and there are two key concepts, which in my mind, just thinking about it and reflecting on it, probably explain how most of diets work. So that's the first one. Mm -hmm. The fact that, um, that, you may count calories, but certain foods you can't absorb all the calories. The second, the second concept is the fact that something that takes longer to digest um, travels further down the gut. Yes. 
Therefore, it makes you feel fuller. Therefore, it makes you eat less. So yes. protein is a classic example of this, where protein is just chemically more. A calorie of protein makes you feel fuller than a calorie of fat, than a calorie of carb, in that order. Does it really? It does. I, I thought that fat was quite high, but protein's above fat in terms protein, of satiety. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. And the reason behind that is because of all the, those three macronutrients, Yes. I was doing air quotes there, uh, <laughs> ma ma macronutrients, protein takes the longest to, to, to digest. So if you take ah. those two concepts and those two principles, yeah. you actually explain how almost all diets work to get you to eat less. Let's take an example. Let's Adkins diet. This was the granddaddy of all mm. of all these famous diets. Often sold as a low carb diet. Okay. Um, but if you remove the carbs, then you need to replace the calories with something else. And yes, people do replace it with fat, but Actually, fat is pretty unpalatable in of itself. Yeah, you know, so how you're much... not just going to drink olive oil, are you? No, you no, no, exactly. It's just, bleh, it's lovely with carbs. Mm -hmm. But so a lot of people actually replace uh, it with, with protein. Yes. And protein makes you feel fuller and it makes you eat less and you lose weight from the caloric availability point of view. Now, sugar. Now, let's go with carbs. Carbs. Caloric availability, so the amount of calories you get from 100 calories of carbs, depends whether or not you're talking about pure sugar or you're talking about bread, okay? okay. But broadly speaking, 95 to 99, 97%, depending on how complex the, the carbs are. Fat is nearly 99%, nearly 100, because fat is so dense. Protein, all protein on average, is only 70% available. So for every 100 calories of protein you eat, you only, on average... You're automatically, you've got a discount. That's a, it. A 30% discount. That's I correct. Love it. <laughs> you only ever absorb right. 70 calories. This is why high-protein diets work for weight loss in the short term. Now, before everyone on here goes yes. to buy steak, just to be clear that any form of protein will work wherever it comes from. It doesn't have to be meat. It can be okay. tofu. It yes. can come from beans. Yeah. Protein is protein. Mm -hmm. And that same principle actually will hold. And if we then pick apart a gazillion diets that are out there, those two principles, I almost guarantee will explain, mm. will explain how, how the diets work. So therefore, this is how it works from a biological point of view. Very, very seldom is it the reason why the websites and the people selling the diets yeah, tell you sure. how it works. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Um, interplaying into all of this, mm. of course, is the importance of food diversity and lots and lots of veg, which are going to feed your microbes. And even though vegetables contain lots of carbs, they're, they're the good carbs, aren't they? And to your point about eating sweet corn and then seeing all the, the husks in the loo the following day, you know, we're not absorbing all that extra fibre. It's helping... So the fiber is the critical element here okay. because what the fiber does, so if you have lots of vegetables, mm. is the fiber does two things. The fiber slows the release of carbohydrates within it. So you get a more even release of carbohydrates compared to just eating refined carbohydrates, okay? Mm. Which means all the calories going boom, whereas fiber slows everything down. It makes you feel fuller. Yes. Fiber also travels further down the gut also makes you feel fuller. Fiber also feeds and makes the microbes happy. So yeah. fiber is fabulous for those three, for those three different reasons. Yeah. You, you know, you, it's good for you. It's good for you. I cannot, you, you know, if there is anything close, there's no such thing as a superfood. But if there's anything close to it, something high in fiber probably is it. So it's really interesting to hear that the two basic principles that we should be looking for going forward with our healthy eating is good amounts of good quality protein and good amounts of fiber, fiber, fruit and vegetables, fiber. Yes. And very little sugar. I mean, what, what is the role of refined sugar here? Because I sometimes have arguments on social media with people who I suspect are in the play of, you know, Mr. Kipling or whoever, trying to get us to eat refined carbs and saying, oh, there's no link between, you know, refined sugars and high glycemic index and all of that. You know, don't worry, just just eat what a little bit of what you fancy. And I think, no, actually, sugar. I regard sugar as inflammatory and having no benefit to the human body. Mm, I don't Would know if I, I... So, okay. I think it depends what we're talking about here. We we need sugar do we really? to a certain amount. Now, do we need powdered sugar? Spoonfuls of white sugar. No. No. But in the concept of a sugar in of itself, do we need sugar? Yes, we do. As, as a, as a, as a fuel. Sugar fruit and veg. Exactly. This is, this, this okay. is what I mean. Hence... If you have refined sugar, okay, per se, it is not bad for you. We eat too much of it. And I okay. think that, that is prob that's probably the issue. The one thing that I would agree with you on, however, so I, dis I draw a distinction between eating the sugar, maybe not eating a teaspoonful of sugar, but eating the sugar within, within a food and drinking the sugar. And the reason why, so that is where I think we are, we, we, you know, yeah. I think we're walking the same path here. And the reason behind this is because whenever you're eating something, you're chewing, you salivate, and the whole process of that, your body begins to sense this and prepares itself to receive calories. So this is this is what. So you 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 need to kind of set yourself up, right? Okay. The enzyme, the right yeah. enzymes, the right juices, everything in place yep. to say we're going to deal with the food, whatever it is. The problem with drinking it, okay. Now drinking your calories, bar in milk, breast milk, or, mm. or whatever milk, mm. is actually an unusual thing to do. Okay, we are, we drank it as children, as milk. Yes. Otherwise, we eat our calories. 
Okay, so and you just drink water, and like, you just drink water historically. Historically, yeah. since yeah. since since whenever, unless you were very very rich, you know, but most people are not. Yeah. And so what then happens is if you drink it, your your body is not being prepared to receive any calories. It's it. You can literally drink a thousand calories. Yeah. Okay, in what two minutes if you have a full fat fizzy drink, for example, before your body even knows that you've begun the process of consuming a calorie. So what is happening then inside our bodies? Is it going to major panic station? It's not major panic station. The problem is it's in, and, and because there's no digestion required because sure. it's sugar, it goes and is absorbed very quickly. And then it's in you before your body can actually respond, before mm. the, the feeling full signals come. So, so what happens when you're eating, when you're eating, is that as food goes through the, you know, the throat, the stomach and the guts, mm -hmm. uh, it, it releases signals to the brain to tell you, I have had this much carbs, fat, protein and this many calories. So it, so you can then in your head think, mm, you know, how much fat do I have as well? And then merge everything together. Drinking the calories messes that, that, that those yeah. maths up. And so as a result, I mean, eventually your brain will catch up. But if you do this every single time, mm -hmm. then you end up fooling. The, your brain has problems trying to catch up with how many calories you're absorbing when you're actually drinking it. Mm -hmm. So what I think I would definitely uh, back is some way of actually... And, and by the way, this is not just Coca-Cola, Pepsi-Cola, other colas are available, yeah. fizzy drinks. Yeah. I also draw the same line down with fruit juices. I was going to ask you about fruit juice and smoothies and all those other things that we're drinking. Shakes, replacement meal shakes, for example. Yes, that's exactly right. So, okay, I, let, I think we have to deal with it one at a time. So f fruit juice mm. is probably as bad as a fizzy as, as, as a fizzy drink. I actually got in the trouble. Um, I wrote this. I wrote this because it's true. Because you strip out all the fiber. All the yeah. good bits of it have been stripped out. Yes, there are vitamins. I agree. Yeah. But the fact is the sugar element remains the same. Mm -hmm. I actually attracted the uh, uh, the ire of big juice and big ju the Florida the Florida uh, um, juice. Sure. Not, yeah, not exactly. Happy. I got a letter from their from Did their uh, PR agency. In New York, you know you're in trouble when you get a letter well from done. New York. I, 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 I once got a letter from a low-fat margarine um, in, in industry PR many years ago when I wrote my first book on fats and oils for daring to suggest that hydrogenated trans fats weren't good for us. And you were so, right. Of, well, of course, you know, 20, 20, 30 years later. It's now like, banned. Now you can't have hydrogen. You, I think you, you kind of, it's a badge of honour when, when, when you receive one of those kind of, of those, One of those letters. <laughs> but, but so I think we've got to consider, we, we, we can't, um, put labels on food that are good or bad mm. willy-nilly. We have to do it with science in mind. And that includes even something which is perceived to be fabulous for you. Look, a little glass of orange juice for say, breakfast. small amounts of fresh, you know, unpasteurized, bursting with vitamins. Clearly, it's, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be fine. Okay, there's nothing. But if you have a pint of orange juice. And you just slug it down. It's got the same amount of sugar. Exactly the same amount of sugar yeah. as in a cola. Exactly the same amount of sugar. There is no and and people says yeah, but it's natural sugar. No, nope. sugar is sugar. It's the same sugar, <laughs> exactly the same okay. sugar um, that that is there. So that is the big distinction which I draw. I think eating it, yes. we do eat too much sugar. Okay, and I and I grant you that. But there is a very big, gigantic difference between mm. eating it and drinking it. So what I try and do with my children is if they have juice, I've cut the serving size down, mm -hmm. and we always dilute it fifty fifty. 
So I mean, that's probably a good idea anyway because the acid in the juice and 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 teeth for 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 young. I try kids. and get them to use a straw as well, just to you know to bypass the teeth because absolutely, you'll, you know the, the acid. And and out. not and not to actually. So my mum is a my mum. Well, I'm retired now. My mum was a dental nurse, and so this was hammered into me every time she looked at my teeth. Even now, you know, juice. was yeah. was just to not. Or if you're gonna drink juice. Drink it quickly. Yes. You know, don't, don't swill it around it. your mouth like a mouthwash. And for heaven's sake, if you are a mother with a, with a toddler, don't put it into a bottle and get yeah. them to almost bathe their teeth in the, in, in, in the juice. Don't do that. Yeah. Just do not only for the acid, but also for the sugar. For the sugar. You, if you're going to drink it in yeah. a meal, drink it during the meal. Drink it back. You can do it with water. Uh, no, you know, uh-huh, you know, but yeah. don't, don't do that to your kids. I'm, I'm a fan of juicing, but my rule, I, I try and follow the 70-30 rule. So I try and juice with 70% veg. So lower sugar. Yes. I mean, obviously things like beetroot and carrots are high in natural sugars, but there are lots of other, you know, lovely greens and cucumbers and peppers and all the other things that are not quite so high in sugar. So there are ways around it. There are ways around it. There's nothing wrong with it, but try and keep as much. So when you juice, Mm. there are juices now which also let do the fiber. fiber, And that, I think, is the critical element Mm -hmm, to it. Um, um, if you strip out the five, you want a purely, uh, you yeah. know, almost like a consomme. You know, some apple juices come out almost like a consomme. Yeah, you look really at it, and go, oh my goodness! You know, you, you want you want stuff with fiber yeah. in it, and that slows down. That actually slows down the abs- uh, the absorption mm. and release of the of the sugar. So coming on to then things like meal replacements yeah. and, and shakes and smoothies, yeah. they do contain a bit of fiber, don't they? Well, they do some, sometimes. They can. Do. I think it depends what the purpose of the meal replacement uh, uh, is. I think to 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 my mind, clearly it's always better to be eating food okay it's yeah you, food. You, you, you know yeah. food like in the shape of food um there are going to be reasons why to use if you're in hospital if you're an old person mm. if you need to get as much calories down as you as possible there are going to be situations for you to actually to actually use that interesting though that you talk about wanting your calories so wanting to put on weight that's right actually use meal replacements. that's right i mean i mean not, not losing weight particularly if you're getting older I mean, like old, old with a capital O. Um, um, actually, there are very few severely obese old people because what happens is you begin to lose muscle mass. You begin, and actually getting enough calories down, this is not universal, but I mean, mm. largely speaking, it's actually difficult for an older person to, to, to keep getting, getting enough calories down, down mm. you. And so that's when something like that was useful. Absolutely. Well, mm. you must have seen in the course of your work so many different food fads and trends and ideas come along. What about things like alkaline eating? Can we eat to change our alkalinity? And is that important? So, okay, so alkaline eating is probably... So most of the diets which I handle in there do work and has some scientific basis. Okay, so, so your book, Gene Eating, describes lots of different diets. Lots of different ones. Which is really ones. helpful, actually, because you can explore And goes and... through. And I don't, and I'm, I don't demonize everything, clearly, because yes. the one thing I will demonize is alkaline eating. Okay, go because, for it. because it. Because no, it has no basis. <laughs> it has no basis, in fact, whatsoever. And, and let me, so the reason why are, are, are two reasons. So alkaline eating, just for people who aren't familiar with it, goes with the principle that because we are alkaline beings, and we are, our blood, uh, our blood pH, which is a measure of acidity and alkalinity, is slightly alkaline at 7.4. So 7 is neutral, 7.4, slightly higher is alkaline. This is a truth. So this is the kernel of truth that is there. Okay. Where the um, fantasy emerges is that this, uh, our blood pH can be influenced by what we eat. It cannot. And because anything which you eat has to pass through the stomach. 
and the stomach has a pH of battery acid. Okay, of, of battery pH, acid. Yes, really. Of, you don't want to stick your hand in there; it's <laughs> going to be bad for you. You know, stomach's a tough, tough old boot. Um, it must but, be. Yes, and so the food goes in there. The stomach kind of massages it. So whatever you eat at whatever pH becomes fully acidic. Now, when it goes into your intestines, then things happen and 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 everything is is, is natural. So that's the first thing. There is absolutely zero evidence um, um, that eating changes your alkaline. Second. If you look at, and you, there, there are any number of books out there, the, the, the founder of the diet is this chap called uh, Robert Young. Okay? He calls himself a doctor. He's not a doctor at all. So he was the one that invented the alkaline diet. So if you look, go back to his books and look at how he actually uh, calls what are alkaline and acidic, they make no sense whatsoever. So, for example, he considers lemons alkali. Well, I've read this. <laughs> this is very confusing. So what, A, why would he do that? And B, what's the reality? Well, the reality is... Lemons are full of ascorbic acid, which is vitamin C, mm. and citric acid because it's a citrus fruit. Okay, so by any definition and measure, it is acidic, but yet he calls it alkali. He uses, here's the problem, he uses the word alkali as um, for the proxy of the word good. Now, is it good or is it bad? I'm not sure, but this is the problem. So there is no, and he considers meat acidic when meat has blood in it because that's what meat is. People may not like it, but there does have blood in sure. it. So therefore, it's alkali by its very, very nature. So th what is acidic and what is alkali to his mind completely makes no sense. Why do people follow it? Why is it so popular? If you actually strip back what you actually eat when you are on an alkaline diet, you are actually eating a lot of veg and very little meat. Okay, now it's pretty much close to a vegetarian, sometimes even vegan diet Okay, mm. for, for, for it. So therefore, you look at it and go, wow, it, this is why it's good for you. Okay, yeah. the, the explanation, however, is complete pseudoscience. Right. And one thing people do ask is, why does it matter if we can get people to eat more veg and less meat mm. and eat healthier? I think the reason is if you want to get someone to eat more veg and less meat and there are good, solid, scientific-based reasons why this is going to be good for you, why not just say it? Yes. Why come up with some imagined reasoning um, in order to try in, in order to, to, to try and do that? I know why. I, it's, it's because, well, either you believe your own myth or you're trying to find your niche to make cash. Those are my those are the two things, or a mix of both. Yeah. Call me cynical. <laughs> no, I see it in so many areas. You know, we talk about so many things here um, on Wellness with Lazelle, and it's either bogus science and and wrong information, which is quite scary when you get people who have a position of influence. Exactly. Or there's a vested financial interest. Oh, okay, if there is a vested financial, all of us need to pay our mortgage. Oh, for sure, no, yeah, okay. everyone's going to work totally. But you got to be. Do let's do it credibly. You yeah, want to be yeah, selling yeah. things that a work, mm. b make sense. Mm -hmm. Um, then by all means, go and 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 make your money. But don't mm. do it by lying to people, which is sure. which is what really bugs me. Interesting, you mentioned there about eating more veg and following a vegan diet. Mm. Now, you did that, didn't you? Was that for a BBC program? It was. It was for Trust Me, I'm a Doctor, okay. um, so, so which I, I present on. And so they wanted me to ask the question, is it healthy to be vegan? Now, I, I appreciate for all the vegan listeners out there that people go vegan for a myriad of different reasons. Lots of reasons, yeah. Ethical reasons, environmental reasons. But this is a health program. So I looked yeah. at it from a health perspective. And so I, the, the first question was, Is does vegan automatically equal healthy? 
then you begin to think about it and clearly not because I could have had chips and crisps right. uh, um, um, and Oreo cookies the, the entire time. Yes. And, and that would clearly not have fitted under, under healthy. So I decided to try a um, plant-based whole food approach mm-hmm. okay, in, in order to do that. And, um, and so I survived the month. Um, and do you know what? I lost four kilos on the vegan diet. Um, and my blood cholesterol levels, which I always knew was a tad high, I have to say, mm. dropped by 12%. This was in 29 days. Not that I wasn't counting. Right. Uh, um, <laughs> 20, 20. However, so let's, so, so I'm, I'm almost the face of vegan health. I'm the poster boy. Except let's look at why I lost, why did I lose the weight? Okay. I lost the weight because vegan food is bulkier than, than meat. You gotta eat, it's less calorically available. Okay. okay. Lots of fiber. So you got to eat a lot of lentils to match a steak. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there's only so much time in a day you have eating. And so as a result, even though I ate loads volume wise, yes. I still absorbed less calories. And trust me, I was eating as much as I could get down me. I wasn't eating crisps and chips, just, just to be okay. clear. Mm-hmm. I was eating beans. I was eating veg. I was eating, uh, um, I was eating carbs. I was eating rice. I was mm-hmm. eating pasta, but I was tr- trying to eat as, but I'm not a big pasta head. And so I lost weight because of that. Okay, so, so, but you can lose weight many, many different ways. It wasn't a magical vegan diet. It just yes. was a very good strategy for me. Why did my cholesterol levels drop? Probably because A, in part, I lost weight. Yes. Okay, so that's going to lower it. And second, because I removed saturated fats from my diet. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, largely this comes from meat. I realize some vegetables have saturated fats, but my saturated fats tended to come from meat-based products. Now, there are two but very, very important buts to actually consider here. I could have achieved this drop in cholesterol levels by switching to a pescatarian diet. So eating yes. largely fish because the fat in there is unsaturated. Mm-hmm. So I didn't need to necessarily go vegan. Yeah. And secondly, and most importantly, not everybody's cholesterol levels are sensitive to diet. Now, mine happens to be. Interesting. Uh, uh, but for a so lot for some of, of us, it won't work. It won't work at all. Not one jot. It doesn't matter how much butter you eat or how much kale you eat. (laughs) Your cholesterol levels are either going to be set high, middle or low, and it's going to be down to your genes. Yes. And it's not going to budge. Now, it's high, it's going to be bad, and you're going to need to drop it somehow. Mm -hmm. And so my point is, when you take a diet like myself, and and I'm in a position of influence because this was broadcast on national TV... So I need to be careful what I say. I can say, mm. go vegan, drop mm. your cholesterol levels, lose weight. That's true for me. And that's probably going to be true for a lot of people. Yes. But it's not going to be true for everybody. For everybody. And I, mm. that is a, that's the critical message. You, mm. have to, you have to find a strategy uh, that suits you and your biology for the diet to actually improve your health. Mm. Did you check things like your B12 and yep. your vitamin D? Yes, and I did. How, how, how were they affected? I, so, mean, I, I know it was only a month. It was only a month, yeah. but I did get everything um, measured before mm. and I uh, measured everything after. I, surprisingly, actually was vitamin D deficient. Still am, probably. Mm. I need to stay in the sun you a bit more. Sun. But I'm a tropical boy living in a yeah. northern rock. So, okay. so, so, so for me, yeah. I probably do need vitamin D uh, supplements. Mm. Uh, Everything else, all my other micronutrients were good before and good after. Mm. Now that said, and I didn't supplement, but that being said, that's because B12 in particular, uh, the two things which uh, vegans need to really concern themselves with is B12 and iodine. Okay, so now B12 um, tends to come from animal-based products and yeast. So that's that's the thing. But um, you do need to supplement going long-term. But because it is fat-soluble, 
I figured I had enough. It was being released in your fat. So, <laughs> okay. so I didn't. I didn't supplement. Yeah. Iodine, interestingly enough, mm. largely now seafood is famously high in iodine. Mm-hmm. Seaweed is high, famously high in iodine. Okay. But actually, in the UK and in the US, the vast majority of our iodine comes from milk. Yes. And you might be wondering, why is that the case? Are cows high in iodine? The feed that cows eat are high, is high in iodine. So that tends to be where we actually get, get, get it from. But if you're going vegan, you do need to think about a supplement mm. for that um, um, as well. So you need to uh, worry. You do need to think about, uh, about supplementation if you're choosing to go, yeah. uh, to go vegan long term. Mm. Interesting that you're saying that, you know, there, there seems to be no one diet fits all. Mm. And it's very much to do with our own individual genetics or our microbiome and how that's interacting. How can we identify that? How can we know? Isn't that the sort of $10 million question? It is. It, 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 it is. I mean, there are loads of companies out there at the moment um, who claim to be able to sell you a genetic test for 100 quid or 200 quid or something Any and good? predict what you... No, I mean, no. which which is which is slightly odd when I'm when I'm a, when I'm a geneticist, yes. and that's because we're, we're not there yet with regards to the biology. That's the problem. I think we're going to get there at some point, and then we'll be able to get some level of predictivity. But at the moment, actually, do you know what your best approach is? Are, are two two approaches. The first one is slightly depressing. Look at your parents. So if you look at, I know it's terrible. So when you look at your parents, um, it'll give you a good idea about the kind of diseases you may actually get. And if you look at your parents' shape, now you may differ in absolute size, okay, and severity of various things, but they'll give you a pretty good bio-essay, as they say, for what's going to end up happening to you. Very depressing, everyone. I'm really sorry about this. But the second thing, actually, in lieu of a viable genetic test at the moment, um, I think is to be honest with your feeding behavior. If you're going to want to lose weight, there's no sense in lying to yourself. Okay, say I need to lose weight. Then be honest. Do I like... Uh, do I like sugary food? Do I like fat food? Uh, do I respond to stress by eating or do I respond to stress by not eating? It's the same hormone, cortisol. Why do people respond in diametric opposites? I mean, we know people who will, will stop eating the moment they're stressed. Um, others comfort eat. So if you know you comfort eat when you get stressed, then put a strategy together that that prevents you from comfort eating. Maybe you do something else to tickle your the, the, the reward centers of your brain in order to do that. If you happen to really like sugary food, well, try not to have as much of it in the house. Yeah, or, or wean yourself off. I, I wean myself off sort of very sweet chocolate by just eating. By d- eating less, darker like, like darker, darker chocolate. chocolate. And oh, now yeah. I, that's I, probably I possible too. I absolutely love, you know, 80, 90% dark chocolate but i used not to it took me about a year to kind of work down to that but this is what i mean you know what you what what Mm. and that is probably the best way to do it but you have to be honest with yourself you you got to sit down and say what really floats my boat okay (laughs) and then and then try and work within there to try and and, and achieve the magic reduction in calories that is what you've got to that's what you've got to do and that's the magic yes Thank you so much. So fascinating. Well, much more on all of this, of course, in Giles's book. It's called Gene Eating and it is out now. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. That is all we have time for today. But don't forget, we'll put the notes from this episode up on lizardwellbeing.com. And you'll also find further resources and the chance to sign up for our free weekly newsletter, which comes right to your inbox for an end of week treat each and every Friday, should you so wish. So until the next time we chat, go well. Bye bye.
the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.